Oh, church. Listen, I haven't even turned around yet this morning. I didn't see most of you come in. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Hey, off campus. How are you this morning? Why is it why? Why am I plagued with this with this feedback? Why? Why? It's just it's just recently. I don't know if my voice is getting louder as I get older or what's going on here. Thanks, Rob, for leading us this morning. Thanks, team. Um, that song messes me up. Those songs every time. I'm not enough unless you come. What a what a like what a prayer of surrender. Like just to recognize where we are in the spirit, recognize who we are and who he is. And so I, I trust that your hearts are there with me this morning. Okay, so we are in a uh, thank you very, very much. Yes, I, I did. I gave him a big speech about be really ginger with it because it's, it's not on here very well. That's right, everybody. We have visual aids this morning. I know you're very excited about the message now. Uh, so this, we are on week two of our summer series, which we are calling The Never-Ending Story. And we're going to talk about how, the, how to understand the Bible as one continuous story together. And we're going to take little bits and pieces of it. Man, I'm really enjoying putting these messages together. This has been a lot of fun. So this morning... Uh, we had a little a guessing game in my car on the way here, which was if last week we did creation and the fall, then this week, what do you think we're going to be talking about? There's so many guesses. Just think about it. If you want to write it down just to prove how smart you are and that you know, but there might be a little bit of a, uh, a curveball thrown in here. So let's start with this. There are some really important numbers in the Bible. There are numbers that, and I'm not talking about the, the weird thing where you, where, you, where you add things up from the Hebrew alphabet and whatever. I mean, like, just numbers that you see over and over and over again in Scripture. Uh, can you think about any, can you, can you, you could shout it out if you want to. Can you think of a number in the Bible that you get, comes up over and over and over again that it probably has something? Uh, Pranilla says three. That's good. Good. Three being, like, obviously the sign of the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, really sim symbolizing the completeness of God. Uh, in, in all those things, completeness and perfection. Any, what other numbers come up in the Bible? If you're doing a Bible trivia game, seven, it's always good. <laughs> my, I have people here off campus, people here are pointing to my own kids who are like, we're giving you an answer and you don't see us. Why don't you see us? Why don't you see us? Seven, very important. God's, actually really symbolizes God's perfection and completeness again. So seven days of creation. Sabbath is on the seventh day. Jesus described himself with seven metaphors in the Gospel of John, like the bread of life, the light of the world, etc. Uh, I love this one from the Old Testament. The seventh year was the year of Jubilee, the year where debts were canceled and slaves were freed. Uh, forgiveness is offered 70 times seven, Jesus said, right? Uh, in the book of Revelation, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven angels, seven bowls. So again, seven symbolizes the perfection or completion uh, of God. Um, anything else? 40. 40. 40. I was like, what? No, you did it. You did it right for me. I just didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. I just saw, I just saw this. I was like, what is happening here? Uh, okay, 40. I'm going to come right back to that one. But there's one more before we get to 40, which is 12, which is a nice, big, important number. Uh, so 12 really uh, describes, uh, scholars think, the perfection of God's authority. So when you read about the number 12, that's typically what it means. So we have the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, the 12 disciples. There's actually 12 minor prophets. So the perfection of God's authority is wrapped up in 12. But this, uh, this one that Joel brought to us, how about 40? 
So when you hear the number 40 in scripture, it's almost always referring to a time of testing or trial. Okay? So 40 days on Mount Sinai for Moses, he was fasting and he received the law. There was 40 years of wandering in the wilderness for the Israelites. 40 days in the desert for Jesus, which ended in him being uh, tempted by the devil. And for today, we have 40 days and 40 nights of the flood. Time of testing, time of trial on the earth. And what's kind of, what's kind of sideways about the story of the flood, I mean, when you get, to, when you get studying it, is that it's, it's one of the most popular children's stories of all time, right? If you, if you even went to Sunday school one time as a kid, you probably heard the story of Noah and the ark. Very, very popular. How many of you decorated your child's nursery with an ark theme, right? So popular and so gender neutral. Could go, you know, it's so cute. Very, it's biblical. It's fantastic. And so we're like, this is what we do. We're like, we take our little kids and we say, the Lord told Noah to build him an arky, arky. Lord told Noah to build him an arky, arky, build it out of, do you know? Go for barky. Uh, yeah. And then we say, the animal, oh, sorry, we can finish it, the chorus next time. The uh, animals, the animals, they came in by twosies, twosies, animals, right? Elephants and kangaroosies, roosies. If you didn't grow up listening to Salty, or wherever that song came from, I'm sorry. But that's a real song. I'm not just writing it for you this morning. This is what we say. We say we bring the children around. And we say, look at what this cool thing that Noah did. He built a really, really big boat. <laughs> and all the animals came and God helped him. And it was so cool. And it rained and poured for 40 daisies, daisies. It almost drove those animals crazies, 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 right? <laughs> if you don't know this song, please YouTube it. I'm not, make, I'm not in, totally insane. And we, we love to teach this. Isn't this a beautiful flannel graph? This belongs to our preschool department here. Isn't this nice? Uh, so this is, like, this is how we tell this story. But I want you just real quick, let's go to Genesis chapter 6. You can look at it in the YouVersion app also. You can go to more and then events. You can follow along there. Or Genesis, if you don't know, it's like the first book of the Bible, very, very close to the front of your Bible after the table of contents and things of that nature. Genesis 6, we're going to read verses 5 to 7. So when we sit our, our, our kids down around the flannel graph, this is not the portion of scripture that we typically read. It says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. That's the story of Noah and the ark. This is not inaccurate. But this is not the piece that we usually tell the children for obvious reasons. But this was the reality of the situation in this story, this famous story. And our natural inclination when we read something like this is, how could God have done something so brutal, so drastic, so horrible? How could he have done that? But I want to offer you right from the beginning here another perspective that the more pressing question in this story is, why did he let anyone live if this was true on the earth? 
when the movie Noah came out in 2014, it's rated PG, not for family viewing, just want to say. I did watch it, I admit. But uh, I remember watching it because I was, I was curious about how Hollywood would take this story and, and, you know, turn it into a movie and do those things. And I fully expected it to be not biblically accurate and them to take all kinds of creative license and all of those kinds of things. Those things I was expecting. But one thing that really stuck with me when I was watching that movie was how they depicted these verses 5 to 7. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't necessarily recommend it. It's pretty dark, actually, and a little scary. But uh, they really depicted how this would have looked if this was true, that there was only evil all the time in the hearts of men. What would that look like on the earth? And not only that, of course, but for our story, how Noah also stood apart from that in a significant way. Kind of gave me a new perspective on, on verses 5 to 7 when I realized, yeah, that, when you think about those three verses and what they would have looked like in real life, it would have been pretty terrifying. So why then, is, is this the question we're actually going to deal with, is why then, did God let anyone live when he could have just started over? If this was true on the earth, if sin had, we talked about the fall last week, if, if that had taken, sin had grown into such a monstrosity before God and this was the state of the world that he created in perfection, then why, why not just wipe the whole thing out? Forget about it or, or start again from the beginning. Genesis 6, 8, go there with me. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so what we see actually in the story of Noah is that God's extraordinary love jumps off the page. You have to be looking for it. You can't just take your assumptions and apply them. But if you think about it from this point of view, that God's love seriously just jumps off the pages of Scripture again to us. Listen to how God's hand is in Noah's life. We're just going to jump a few verses here. Uh, chapter 7, verse 16 I love this. Then the Lord shut Noah in. Think about what that would have looked like. I can't, I God, I can't, the door's really, I got you. you. You're good for a while. You're good in there for a while. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. 9-1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons. And then uh, verses 9, 13 to 15. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood and destroy all life. Yeah, don't worry. Miss Margaret provided me with a rainbow also. <laughs> I was like... Can't not have a rainbow. There we go. You're welcome. You're, you're welcome. Not only did God see them and bless them, he made a covenant with them that he was going to take this, this form of destruction off of the table forever. And he sent a rainbow to remind us that every time we see that, we can remember that God keeps that promise. Pretty great. The writer of the... Bible study seamless, which is, was the inspiration for this summer series, Angie Smith. She says it like this when she gets to this story in Noah in her study. She says, still not excited about the rainbow? Let me say it another way. Even when we didn't deserve it, 
God gave us another chance. In the roar of your own sense of entitlement, you might miss what that actually means. God doesn't owe us a single thing. It's his show, y'all. It says that. It's his show, y'all, every bit of it. God doesn't have to love you, but he does. In the roar of your own sense of entitlement. I don't know about you, but that one hurt me a little bit. It's hard to see a story like this and not think, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. But when you think about what was actually happening, who God is and what he created, and the fact that it's his show, y'all, the, the, very, the fact is that his love begins to jump off the page when you see his hand in the life of Noah. And so, so far in, in just our, the short little bit we've done in this series so far, God has created the world, including Adam and Eve. Sin wrecked everything. There is that theological term, very short, very powerful, called the fall. The world went downhill until, uh, until God sent the flood. And then God started over with Noah. That's where we are so far. And now we're going to do something that it might seem like I've lost my way a little bit, but I promise you I haven't. If you have a print Bible, this is going to be a little bit more fun, but it's okay. You can do it digitally too. If you have a print Bible, I want you to just keep your hand in Genesis where you are, and I want you to flip over to the book of Job. It's right before the Psalms. If you're digital, it's okay if you're on your version. Just note where you are in the scriptures and then jump over to Job and kind of get a, get a picture for that. I didn't even... Um, didn't even mark it in my Bible. I just wanted to have this analog experience here. There we go. Look at how much we are going to skip in the scriptures this morning. <laughs> don't be, I don't know if you can see it past my laptop. We're going to go to here in the scriptures. I don't know if you saw that if you were doing it digitally. But I want you to understand that I haven't lost my mind completely. It seems like we're going out of sync here, but we're not. So kicking off five books in the Bible that are considered wisdom or poetry, uh, we, we have the book of Job. It's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And we have these five books that are considered wisdom or poetry. Different genre of writing than the narrative that we are reading in Genesis. Okay, so that's why it's here. Uh, it's written in a different style, different genre. Uh, but Job, in fact, lived sometime between the flood and Abraham. So in our narrative, he actually shows up in the timeline right after the flood, before Abraham. Maybe a contemporary of Abraham, but somewhere in that space. Even though we had to skip that much of the scriptures to get to him. And that's why he's in there, because it's written in a very poetic uh, kind of form. Does that make sense? That's what, we're, that's what we're jumping. But when you read Job, I want you to think after the flood before Abraham, okay? That's where I want you. When you read that in the scriptures, that's the timeline that you're looking at. And you probably have heard about Job. You've likely heard that he had a very rough time in his life, to say the least, if you've heard about his story at all. People often say that their lives feel like Job's if they're really going through a difficult time. So if in case you don't know, or let me just outline this book for you, it's actually quite a long a long book in the Bible. There's a lot of chapters. It's one of those books of the Bible that when I'm here in my reading plan, I typically will do a lot of it in audio Bible so that I don't skim. Like it's one of those books that you just could be like, there's a lot of poetry in here that I tend to skim with my eyes. So I like to listen to this one instead, just a little 
Just that was a free tip for you this morning, nothing to do with my message. So here's the outline of the book of Job. God is, um, it opens up with God bragging on Job to Satan. Yep, you heard me. Go ahead, go to, go to chapter 1 and you can read it for yourself. God is bragging on Job to Satan and says, uh, and Satan says to him, oh yeah, well, Job is only so faithful to you because um, he, he has it so good in his life. He's so blessed. He's like, he has everything he could ever want. So God allows Satan to take it all away, including his children. And Job's response to this in chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Okay. So then God is bragging on Job again and to Satan. As I guess happens, I don't know how this, like I don't understand everything about the setup here, but I'll tell you, nobody really does, but this is what the scripture records. And Satan says, yeah, but he's still only faithful to you because you, you took away all of his things, all of his external things, but you didn't touch him as a person, his physical body. But if you afflicted him, then if he was afflicted in some way, then he would definitely turn on you and stop being faithful. He would curse you. So God says, fine, go ahead. You can afflict Job with whatever you want, but you may not kill him. That's the, the rules of engagement here. So God allows Satan to afflict Job with painful sores. It's pretty disgusting. It's in uh, chapter 2. You can read it if you'd like to. I won't, I won't today. And when this is happening, Job's wife says to him, I cannot believe that you are not cursing God and dying. And Job's response to her is in 2.10 says, Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And then we have um, less, we get into the poetic part of this of this book, Job begins to express his grief and pain to God because he doesn't understand why this is going on. He doesn't know what he's done. He doesn't know how to fix it. He doesn't know where God is. He, he curses the day that he was born. And then his friends come around him and they tell him basically that God did this for a reason and that he should confess his hidden sin and confess his hidden unrighteousness because clearly that is what's going on here. And Job maintains that, no, he has lived a righteous life. He has lived rightly before the Lord. And this is, this is not that. It's something else. But he doesn't understand what it is. But he knows it's not hidden sin. And they go back and forth. And after 30 plus chapters of this back and forth, God speaks. And God establishes who he is. And Job repents for even questioning this. And God blesses him even more than before. That's essentially the book of Job. And Job is a tough book because the things that his friends say to him in all of those chapters in the middle, they're not totally untrue about God or about the trouble that sin causes in our relationship with him or our need to be repentant. They're not wrong about those things. The trouble was that they didn't know what they didn't know. They didn't know the heart of God. They didn't know the heart of the situation. And they talked and they talked and they talked and they talked and they tried to resolve the situation that they had no idea about. Anybody ever been guilty of that? And this book is also tough because like the flood, you can very quickly ask the question, why would God allow this? Like in this one, there's just like the, a full setup of, of God saying, yes, I give permission for this to happen. Go ahead. You're going to see that Job's faithful. Why? Why? What, what kind of loving God would let someone he loved so much supposedly be treated like this? It feels so cruel and so unnecessary. Those are fair questions to ask when you come to this book. And the truth is, I don't, I, I don't really know. 
Scripture doesn't give God's rationale. Scripture doesn't say all the things that God knows so that we will fully understand why this happened in Job's life. It seems like God, bad things happen to a good person and God gave permission for it to happen. And so I want to take this difficult story and also this beautiful but also difficult story and I want to look at them both through the, the lens of our guiding questions for this series. The first one is like what happened in the stories. That's the second and third ones are what do they reveal to us about God and how do they point to Jesus? So we touched on the first one in the flood narrative already. And it's this, that God loves his creation. This is the first question. What do they reveal about God? God loves his creation and he will find a way to redeem us. He didn't completely destroy it all. He saved the one who was walking with him. And as horrible as that event was, it was actually an incredible act of mercy for humankind. We also see in, in this story God's sovereignty. And God's sovereignty means his, his ultimate power and authority over all things. Starts to bubble off the page, leap off the page at you. Because you start to see in these stories that we are not him and he is not us. We can learn about him and grow in our understanding of his heart and his character, but the truth is that we are not God. And so we get ourselves into trouble when we, we forget about this. And like Eve, like we talked about last week, desire to be like God and forget about his supreme authority over all of this. We want control. We want to know everything. We want to understand every piece of everything. But in truth, friends, I'm sorry to tell you, we're just not capable of that because we are not God. And so in addition to his love and his mercy that jump off the page and his sovereignty over us that you can see in these stories... God is also revealed here to be a promise keeper and full of blessing. The flood ended with a rainbow. Job's story ends with blessing upon blessing upon blessing in Job's life. And the truth is that neither of those outcomes erase the difficulties, the hardships, the heartbreak that these men went through. But even as we were declaring as a church this morning, one thing was very obvious, and that was that they were never left alone. And their faith to trust in what they couldn't see was rewarded. For their faith to trust in God, even though they couldn't see, they couldn't see the end, they didn't know what was going to happen, they didn't know how it was going to turn out, their faith to just trust God, even in the darkest of circumstances, was rewarded. And I don't say this lightly or naive, naively or with one ounce of cliche, but I believe with, beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is good, even when I don't understand the particulars of a decision that he's made, something that he's allowed. I still believe he's good. I believe that I can trust his heart for me. I believe that I won't understand everything on this side of eternity, and I don't have to. And there is a massive sense of relief and release in that. I can believe he's good no matter what the circumstances around me look like. 
And also in answer to our, our other guiding question, which is how does this point to Jesus? I see in these stories a few really incredibly powerful things. I see the coming of the one, uppercase O, the one who will save us from the evil in the world that starts in our hearts. I, I see the one who will take our burdens and our suffering on himself and bear them on the cross for us. I see the, the, the one who will fulfill the ultimate promise that all of this wrong will be made right one day, finally and completely. And no longer will we be wondering about all the pain and suffering in the world. And when I see those things in these stories, I understand again, that's why I can completely trust him. That's why the answer to the deepest pain or trouble or sin in my life is and always will still be Jesus. That's why. Jesus offers to ultimately save us from the evil in the world by giving us a place with him in eternity. But the first thing he does is to save us from the sin and evil in our own hearts. Jesus picks up the suffering that we're going through and he experienced it all and he paid for it to be made into something beautiful and something good in your life. Jesus fulfills the, promises in, the promise in Genesis chapter 3 that the curse of sin and death would be broken and that all of this will be made, all of this will be made perfect again someday. And we get to be, in a sense, back in Eden with him forever in that kind of relationship. And so friends, can I speak to the suffering in your life and the pain in your life this morning because I know we all have it to some degree or another, have walked through it in some situation or another and that won't be the end of that story for you. Can I speak into that suffering in your life and ask you to look with me to the flood and to Job? And I want you to see the love and mercy of God, the sovereignty of God, the blessing and the promise keeping of God coming off of these pages and into the story. Giving us the thing that we couldn't earn and, and don't deserve, but still he keeps meeting us where we are and meeting us where we are and meeting us where we are. Oh yeah, we don't understand everything. We, we never will. I often think, you know, you know, one day when we get to heaven, he'll explain everything to us. I don't, maybe that's not true. Maybe we just will be like, oh, I get that it doesn't matter. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it's going to work. But can you see his love and mercy coming off the page? In every situation, in every circumstance, in every bit of suffering. Will you trust him when you don't understand? Will you trust his sovereignty? And his omniscience and his love and his mercy. More than you trust the circumstances of the feelings or the suffering that you're going through now. For me, it's a determination that I'm going to believe that God is good. Because he's proved himself to be in my life over and over and over again. But even when I come up against something that's even more difficult... Even when I come up against something that I haven't, I haven't experienced before, I can still believe that in all things that God is good and I can trust him. 
We had a saying in my Connecting Point group a few years ago that instead of coming back to this question over and over and over again, yeah, but in this situation, where are you, God? In this situation, where are you, God? I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if you're good. Instead of that, and every situation, just before you ever even get there, just settle it. Just settle it. That he is who he says he is. That these stories don't represent a, 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 a mean and vindictive God who's out to, to ruin all of your fun and to create pain on the earth. But these stories represent a God who actually finds a way to redeem every situation. And ultimately will redeem it all completely and forever. You'll forgive me if I've told you this story before. I, I've been trying to decide all week if I wanted to tell it to you. But I, I think I will. If I've told it before and you've heard it. Um, it just it really fit in this moment, I thought. When I, I was 14, I had a, a, a lot of medical issues that, it's a, obviously a long story, but one of, the, one of the things that happened is that the doctors determined that I needed to have a hysterectomy at 14, which if you don't know what that is, it just means that you have to take out the uterus. So I lost an organ <laughs> at 14. And... And it was, to, it was to prevent further medical complications. But I knew as a 14-year-old, I think I was three weeks before my 15th birthday, that was a life-altering surgery. And I, I remember I had had a couple of surgeries. I woke up from, from the second one. They were, they, I, we didn't know what was going to happen. The doctors went in. They were going to try to fix the problem. But they ended up not being able to. And that was the result for, for my benefit and health in the end. And I remember uh, asking, looking up at my parents and seeing that they were very sad when I woke up and what happened, what, what went on. And my dad couldn't even, I don't, he couldn't even tell me. I don't know who actually, maybe it was, probably, maybe it was my mom, <laughs> who actually told me what had happened. And something very interesting happened. And I know that I was young and I, I didn't have the life experience or had gone through a lot of the pain and heartache that so many of us have gone through at the time. But something happened in my heart in that moment that I have gone back to over and over again, and I receive it as a gift of God for my whole life, which is, I saw myself standing at a fork in the road. And the sadness of what that meant for my life hadn't fully comprehended, because as a 14-year-old, I wasn't having babies anyway. I knew that there was going to be pain in the future. But I remember standing there thinking, there is a way through this where I say, I can't believe God would allow this in my life. This is a basic human right, it feels like. Why me? What an odd thing to happen to me. I, it's like one in a million kind of a medical issue. And why me? I didn't do, I'm serving the Lord. I'm on my student leadership investment council at youth group. And, so I, and I, well, I lead the worship, you know. Why would God allow this in my life? This is so unfair. And to go down that path or that fork in the road and make a decision that I didn't trust God anymore. That he wasn't to be trusted because I never knew what he was going to do with me. I just, I just couldn't, I just, I, I maybe would even believe in him, but I just knew I couldn't trust him with my life. And I also saw the other path, which was like, maybe there's something else for me. Maybe God has something else for me. And maybe it's not about me at all, actually. Maybe it's about something bigger than me. 
And maybe, maybe it's not even that, it's not even that meta. Like maybe, maybe it's just that this is my path, but he will make beautiful things out of brokenness. And I can trust him every time. I can trust him every time. I don't, honestly, I know I was young, but I remember seeing that. And I looked at my dad, and I, I'm sure my mom was there too, but I remember seeing him. I was on a lot of drugs, so. Uh, <laughs> the Lord used that? I don't know. Uh, and I, I remember looking at my dad and said, well, maybe it was you. Was it you? I think it was you. My mom's like, yes, it was me. You were on a lot of drugs. It was me. You said it too. <laughs> I said, I, I think there, maybe there's some, there's some babies somewhere in the world that needed a mom who I would have never seen or known about or looked for. I'm 14 years old, you guys. That's the grace of God, trusting him for what's for your best. I, was, I think about that, and I think how stupid that is as a 14-year-old to even have a thought like that. Like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't as mature as that sounds. <laughs> it's the grace of God. And if you know me at all, you know our story. I have uh, three beautiful kids who look nothing like me. <laughs> I have three kids uh, Rob and I adopted from Ethiopia. Uh, 12 and a half years ago. And I will tell you that story now every time to say, I would not have wanted it any other way. There were things I missed. When my friends started getting pregnant and all of those things, that was a journey. I was like, whoa, that's not going to be me. I'm gonna, that's something I'm going to miss in my life. That's true. I had those moments with the Lord. And I just, but I just kept saying, I just have to trust you, Jesus. And what he brought into my life was something I never, ever would have known to look for on my own. But the choice to just choose this path instead of this one, where maybe I believed in him, but I couldn't trust him with my life choices, as opposed to saying, God, not only do I believe in you, but I'm going to go all the way in and believe that you're good, has shaped the course of my life. And I know that I was young. One of the reasons I think I was able to have that moment with the Lord as such a young person is because my parents had modeled this for me in every way. They just modeled it for me. And everything that had happened in our family was, well, we trust God. We just trust God. He's faithful. We believe he's good. There was a, there was a, a wiring there. But I want to tell you that I don't care if you're in the last stages of your life if you're midlife, if you're, if you're a young adult, if you're a youth, it doesn't matter how old you are. These, this choice and this crossroads can be your moment right now. You don't even have to be going through something difficult, but maybe you don't believe that God is good because of other things that have happened in your life or things that you just don't know about. And I want to say to you this morning, you can choose to know that he's good. And he will walk that path with you every day, all the time. I have no idea. I mean, I look at these three. Oh, they're together. How cute is that? Hi, guys. I didn't know they were all sitting there together. Um, I know I owe you all ice cream. I'm sorry. But uh, the, I, obviously, the end of the story is already beautiful for me. I didn't have a guarantee of that. Not everybody's story has an outcome that's so obviously, in, in, like, that's been a little bit more obvious like mine has been. But I don't think that that matters as much as you know that you can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your life. And you can know that he's good. Rob, Rob could you just come? Then there's the miracle of this man coming into my life and saying, yeah, we can adopt babies from another continent. Sounds like fun. Let's go. <laughs> right? 
I like an adventure. Yeah. Uh, you know I like this one better. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole thing between us. I, all of his guitars are pretty, but the acoustic is my favorite. Just, just maybe never once would be good, because if you sing the other one, I'll cry a lot, okay? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, we're just being real this morning, you guys. And so I, I just want to invite you into that space of looking at the circumstances of your life. Maybe it's not even you. Maybe it's somebody close to you that you love and you don't understand why. And you're really struggling with this idea of why would God allow this kind of suffering? Why would he, where is his goodness in all of this? Will you trust him even when you don't understand? Can you find him? his sovereignty, his love, and his grace in every part of your story. And even if you can't, could you ask him to show you? It's okay. Job, Job didn't understand either. He had a lot of words for God about how he felt about the circumstances of his life, but he stayed faithful, and God blessed him. So let's, uh, let's stand together, and I just want to invite you into that space with the Lord. It's not between me and you. It's between you and him. And if you would this morning, taking everything in your life, every circumstance that comes to your mind and just offering it to him again, open hands, open hearts. Say, God, I don't understand this, but I want to trust you. I don't see an outcome that looks anything good. Yeah, it's great for Tracy. She's got all these awesome kids now. I don't see anything like that yet in my future, but I am still really want to go down this path and not the other. I don't want the one that leads to bitterness and, and distance from you. I want to go down the one where I can be blessed and I can, I, can, I can trust you and I can see your goodness and work in my life and I'm really struggling with this fork in the road. God, would you walk me down the path? Help me take that step. We just want to believe, God, that you're faithful. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Take every every uh, circumstance, every situation, every relationship in your life. And if you would, bring it to the crossroads and ask him to lead you down the path this morning.